This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, my name is Ricky Smith, and I'm the founder of Random Acts of Kindness Everywhere, a nonprofit that simply does exactly what it says. Promote kindness everywhere. We know the world is crazy right now. If you are searching for a podcast that has a deeper conversation about race, my co-host Angel Gray and I will be discussing everything going on right now on our podcast, Random Acts of Podcast on Blue Wire Podcast Network. To find out more, go to rakenow.org. Enjoy the show. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with Adam Frommel. He is an editor for Bleacher Report. He is also the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. Follow him on Twitter at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. Follow NBA Math on Twitter at NBA underscore math. We are back to our decade ranking series. We're up to the Los Angeles Clippers. If you missed it, which there's a... Fair chance that you did. There's been a lot going on with the coronavirus pandemic, George Floyd being killed at the hands of Minneapolis police. We did publish it, uh, but we didn't feel like it was appropriate to promote it just because it. I think it did go live on the day that George Floyd was killed. So please, if you feel like it, check it out. Uh, if basketball only podcast isn't what you're looking for right now, we totally understand as Thor, my puppy, goes bonkers in the background. I guess he's going to have to become a co-host of this at some point. But we are going to try and uh, be a little bit of a distraction for people that are looking for that. And we are going to move on to the Clippers here. The only housekeeping note that I have at the moment is please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever else you get your podcasts. We are going to have those promo links attached to the individual podcast link. I have now found something where it's going to take you to all the locations in which you can get our podcast. It'll be on that same page. If it's Spotify, click the Spotify link, iTunes, Stitcher directly to the RSS feed. So please rate, review, subscribe to us, whatever your podcast medium allows. We really appreciate it. And make sure you're downloading every episode as well as promoting us. Uh, The tweets that we throw out there, just telling a friend, family member, acquaintance about us. They will not regret it if they listen to this podcast. Last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor, as always, BetOnline. You'll be hearing from them in just a few moments. With all that now said, Adam, how are you doing? I'm just impressed right now. Like that's a pretty long spiel for you to get through with with no notes and no slip ups or anything. Except for the fact that my puppy is going bonkers in the background. That's not a slip up. That's just it, it lends authenticity to the podcast. Like it's it's in this real world environment. We're not just sitting in a studio or something. Yes, and um, puppies are unpredictable. But you have both puppies and children, so you know that better than anybody. One of the puppies is currently laying on my feet, and I'm I'm just hoping that there's no barking from her. I'm good. My my puppies aren't. Uh, I feel weird saying my puppies. Thor and Wade, their names. They're not barkers, 
But like they need to be, I'm about to have to pick this one up and put him on my lap and hope that he doesn't go uh, crazy. However, we are here to talk about the 10 top 10 Clippers of this past decade as determined by you, me, and also you, loyal listeners. If you voted, please remember to fill out those forms that are being tweeted out at NBA math, NBA underscore math. The Lakers will be next. Just throwing it out there to the Lakers fans that we have listening. This was a fun one. And if you want to get right into it, can you take us through how the rankings turned out with number 10? I'm actually going to hold off on going with number 10 because I I wanted to talk about the Clippers' overall level of success throughout the last decade because I think they're so often viewed as like this laughingstock franchise or the little brother in L.A. And that hasn't been the case over the last decade. I mean, they've only missed the playoffs twice in the last 10 years. And so I wanted to start this one off with our, our once per episode trivia question for you. Oh, no. And I think, I think this is a little bit of an easier one than some of the ones we've had, but can you name the five teams with the most wins dating back to the 2010, 11 season? Okay. I'm going to say the Mavericks. The Mavericks are not. Damn. All right. All right. We're off to go to Spurs. Got to be up there. Spurs are number one. Okay. I'm going to assume that the Clippers are on there. Clippers are fifth. Miami? Miami is sixth. Damn. Dallas was 15th, by the way. Yeah, I think I'm just, I'm probably assuming over the past 20 years, they've actually had some bad seasons over the past decade, mm-hmm. so I don't know why I named them. Who do I have? I got the Spurs and the Clippers. Are the Lakers can't be on there, right? They had too many down no, years towards no. the end. Yeah, they're down at 18th. They're they're below the Hawks. Is, I'm going to say Golden State just because they they had a few monster seasons. They're third. Houston. Houston is fourth. I'm not going to get this fifth one. I'm running through all the teams in my head right now. It's so the next team I say that has to be my last guess by default. Or actually, I feel like I might have two. Boston. Nope. Indiana. Boston is seventh. Indiana is ninth, and Oklahoma City is second. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like just, it, that that spans the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden years, and then they haven't been bad. No, and I think what gets me turned around is so you ch- you trade James Harden in 2012. And they, look, they were still really good afterwards, but like you're thinking about all the sort of different iterations or evolutions that they've had over the past decade now. They were the ones that slipped my mind. I probably wouldn't have even have gone to them after the, the last two teams that I named. I was trying to be too trendy by naming the – the Pacers, just because they're like this bastion of, of consistency, but I respect it. Are you now willing to take us to the number? I'm 10 now spot? willing. I'm now willing. We've that was one of your to. kinder trivia questions. So don't it feel was. bad for missing like... it, but it was also like kind of not super hard. I know you've been working a lot and a little tired right now, so I was I was trying to take it easy on you to some extent. Would you've got it won't... five? Absolutely, without question. That's a no. Carry us I mean, on I, I was looking at the list, so I definitely would have. I meant if I was, if it, if the roles were reversed, it, would, would there have been a team that you missed? I think it would have been OKC as well. No, I think I would have gotten OKC. I don't think that I would have gotten. I, I'm not sure I would have gotten Houston because I think I forget how long Harden has been there. Sometimes. Fair enough. But anyway, this is about the Clippers, who were fifth in wins over the last decade, and. Uh, there, there was a lot of a lot of interesting votes throughout this one. Um, it, it seemed like there were essentially 13 candidates for the top 10 spots. So we actually had a three-way tie for 11th place between Paul George, Matt Barnes, and Tobias Harris. Um, both you and I had Tobias Harris 
on there. I was the only one with Matt Barnes. Uh, the fans were the only one with Paul George. I see an argument for all three of those, um, but it, it it felt like there was a, a seven-player tier where there were going to be guaranteed inclusions, and then who the hell knew after that? Paul George was tough for me just because he's missed so much of, of this year, and I know it's not like Kawhi Leonard has played in so many more games than Paul George, but I was a little bit – I kind of expected him to, to be right mm-hmm. around there, but he wasn't like – Kawhi Leonard is who I struggled like to place, even though he's only played nine more games than than Paul George. So that was that might be the only qualm is like it's their first season, but also Paul George is really ridiculously good, and I think him going to the Clippers uh, or forcing his way to the Clippers at all, just like Kawhi signing with the Clippers, right? That has to be part of it too, just because it says something about the Clippers themselves. Agreed. We did have Danilo Gallinari, who was our tenth place finisher. Um, he did not appear on the fans ballot. Uh, he did not appear in my top ten, top 10, though I did give serious thought to including him. He was up at 8th for you, and as is the case with all the players in this range, like I get it. I get all of those different placements. Um, Gallo only played 89 games in LA um, just during the 2017-18 season where he was mostly injured, and then the 2018-19 season where he was phenomenal um, and just kind of like blossomed into that devastating offensive weapon that he's become later in his career. Um was there any consideration to not having him there just because of the lack of of thereness that he's had? We'll get to that term early in this episode. Yeah, there was. It's for both he and Tobias Harris for me. I had, spoiler alert, yeah. Tobias Harris was 10, Gallo was 9 for me. It was, were you going to pull one of them for a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George? I did think about Matt Barnes briefly as well, but Gallo's 2018-2019 season did it for me. Tobias Harris was the one who was generating all the hype it felt like there before he was traded, but it was Gallo who was their best player up, up until that point for me. And it even felt like, you know, Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams were getting a little bit more shine than he did. I said this on the Nuggets podcast with him and I'll, I'll say it again. It, he really just blurs the line between fringe star and then this compliment because he can be so good at, at shooting off the catch and his offense is very plug and play, but he can also really get you buckets um, from these square one opportunities where he puts his head down, gets into the lane. He can hit these difficult fadeaways. He draws a, a ton of fouls. And so he's been one of the more, for his entire career, understated offensive hubs. And I won't say that he would have been an all-star had he been healthier throughout his career, but I think he would be more fondly or, or commonly recognized if, if he didn't deal with so many injuries, uh, You know, some with the Clippers, but also a lot with the Nuggets and even a, a little bit with the Knicks as well. It feels like he's moving into that that territory where we talk about him as one of the all time best players who hasn't made an all star team, right? Um, like he's not one of the first names that comes to mind there. I think Mike Conley probably is, but like he's getting there. Just what he's been able to do as he moves into his thirties on the offensive end, and I don't think we should just totally overlook the defensive ability that he brings to mostly through the versatility and the plug and playness. Like he, I, I think earlier in his career, those New York days and those early Denver days before his ACL injury, he was a pretty underrated defender with some shutdown on ball abilities. He knew what he was doing off the ball, but now it seems like he has the size to body up against some bigger front court players. And he has the, the lateral quickness to match up on the perimeter. He's not a great defender, but he's not like this glaring liability that you might expect from a guy who's largely a, an offensive weapon. 
No, and I think, look, he's not, when you look at his size, because he's he's a true 6'10", they've adjusted the heights and they still list him at 6'10", he's not this overwhelming rebounder, but for his position now, uh, you know, if you're going to have someone who can get you a 17, 18 defensive rebounding rate, that's fine. And I totally agree with you for earlier in his career, uh, he could pl- he could guard two Zen threes, you know, b- really before, like you said, that, that ACL injury. And so never just a good defender, but just one of those guys where it's, he's certainly not could almost be comparable to the way Bojan Bogdanovich was in Indiana uh, because Indiana just turns wing in, wings into to defensive gold. This might be the second consecutive podcast in which I've actually mentioned that, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm actually interested to see is whether he has an opportunity to make a third team's top 10 cut because he's going to have Ooh, just the one season in Oklahoma City, but he's been so good. Uh, and I know Oklahoma City's been also been really good, but it's not like they have like after their tippy top talent. I feel like there's this wide open field, and so they do have a few. I would say more than a few really big names because you have Abaka, Harden's probably going to make it there. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, but like things can be a little bit open. Kendrick after Perkins, that. you know, St- Stephen Adams, but that's not actually a real one. Kendrick Perkins taught Oklahoma City how to win. Never forget that. Apparently so. Attention Hardwood Knox listeners, there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. But anyway, I I wanted to move on from from 10th, who was, you know, sort of an underrated defender, to another mediocre average defender, and that's Kawhi Leonard. Um... (laughs) We, we actually both did not have him in our top 10, which I think is purely a function of the lack of minutes and lack of games played. Only 51. Um, the fans did have him all the way up at fifth. And as an interesting housekeeping note, I think he's the first player, and this is our 13th one of these. Um, I, I believe that he's the first player who has appeared in every single spot on the ballot, getting everything from a first place vote to an unranked vote, um, which is interesting. And I think fitting for a guy who has been phenomenal and has continued to grow into a primary facilitator into um, just this go-to scorer who can light it up from every level but has only played those 51 games between injuries and load management he was one of the toughest players to rank in any of these he will be someone who makes three different top tens because he's going to be on Toronto's and San Antonio's so look Kawhi Leonard is, is just amazing and you know, aside from, I, I know that it's become like a Giannis Attentacubo versus LeBron James debate for the best player in the league. He's still there. And I'm not, I'm going to be more conservative when it comes to picking someone over Giannis than, than I think a lot of other people would. But I, I think there's probably still a case. LeBron James has been so good this year. I would probably have Kawhi Leonard as the third best player in the league. But he's right there. Like, it's just the gap between him and LeBron, if there is one anymore, even the gap between his and Giannis, it's... It's right there. And what he's been really been able to do on offense has been transformative because we've been, I don't know if I want to say we've been waiting on pins and needles, but sort of the next or the last frontier for him was, can he be this primary playmaker type? I'm not talking James Harden level, but, but Kevin Durant level, like 
or a little bit above that. And this year he's done that. They, at the beginning of the year, when Paul George was out, when they were dealing with some other injuries, he was just running pick and roll after pick and roll, uh, aver- uh, dishing a ton of assists. And he still had a career high 5.6 for 36 minutes for his career. And the offense just, you know, if you had any doubt that he could be this offensive hub on his own, it's gone now. I mean, it should have been eradicated before he left San Antonio and then definitely with Toronto. But the Clippers are annihilating opponents. I think when I was I was writing about this a few weeks ago, their offensive rating is close to 117 when Leonard plays without Paul George and Lou Williams. And so driving an entire offense as the primary facilitator was Leonard's final frontier, and now he's conquered it. It's just it's amazing. And looking at this year specifically, because that's really the only one that matters as it pertains to the Clippers, he I know he's a little bit more selective in how he uses his defensive motor, but it felt like sort of after that game, they lost to the Celtics in overtime, I think, where Jason Tatum outplayed him a little bit. Kawhi Leonard just decided that he was going to go all out, just go ham on, on defense. And watching him defend, it should count as a form of cardio because it's that exhausting. Well, that's good news for my exercise habits. Um, I just put I, I in 90 only... minutes of watching Kawhi Leonard today. I'm, I'm exhausted. I don't that's know perfect. how many calories yeah. I burn, but that's perfect. Uh, I, I think the only part of that that I want to push back on is that it is close between the Giannis LeBron tier and, and Kawhi. I think it depends on how you frame the conversation. Like if we're talking about who you want to have for one game or one playoff series, I think that's fair. If we're talking about who you want to have over the course of the season, like availability is a skill. Um, sure, yeah, there's true. some bad luck involved in injuries, but like I, I do think that if you frame the debate that way, that he is still a tier below and that there is a fairly sizable gap. Just because if you look at his history, I mean, we have a nine-game season in 2017-18, then 60 games the next year, and 51 this this current season. And part of that is by design, but that design has been necessary. And we saw it last year during Toronto's run to a championship. Like he still was limping at times. And even with that extreme load management strategy, it almost didn't work. Like I know they won the title, but he was still hobbled during points in that. And I I, I do think that matters if we're talking about the best player in the world conversation. That's that's totally fair. And it's probably why I wouldn't have him all that close to Giannis Antetokounmpo because even with LeBron, while his availability is there, like just the possession by possession engagement, this season has been incredible relative to what we've seen in years past from him recently. But Giannis Antetokounmpo takes every single possession personally, it feels like. With Leonard, though, I do think there's a case that if you need to win one playoff game, there's not another player in the NBA you'd rather have. I'll listen to arguments for LeBron. I listen to them for Steph, maybe Kevin Durant at his peak, you know, following his injury gets a little tough. Giannis could potentially be there as well. So th- that's where his argument, I think, receives the, the biggest boost. I would agree with that. And I, I would probably put him above Giannis in that conversation because I think that Giannis is schemable to some extent, as we've seen with those pack the paint defenses where they're just going to force his teammates to beat him. It's kind of like peak Dwight Howard, where uh, he was dominant and I'm not trying to compare Dwight to Giannis here, just like in terms of the schemeability. That would be one um, heck of a comparison. Where, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, in terms of the unassisted dunks, but nothing beyond that. But I, we saw that in the 2010 and 2011 playoffs where as dominant as he was, teams could make a conscious decision whether they wanted to shut down the perimeter options or throw extra bodies at him. And I, I don't think that you have that same luxury with guys like with Kawhi and with Kevin Durant and with LeBron. 
Can you take us to the, the number eight spot since it says we, we spend enough time at Kawhi Leonard? Oh, actually, the last thing here, if we were to just do this at the end of the se- like the season, which would basically be the playoffs, there's eight regular season games left. Kawhi will probably play in 1.5 of those or something. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Are you? <laughs> also fair. But, well, they don't have number two lockdown, so maybe not. But at the same time, they're not going to care about there's no such thing as home court advantage anyway. And they, they're probably the one team that I believe would say they don't care about their matchup. We're getting too far into the weeds there, though. If we did record this after the playoffs, there's probably a chance, depending on what happens with the Clippers this season, that he could end up, up a like lot six. higher. Yeah. yeah. Or like yeah. four. Like, there's really... Uh, I think those top five are like fairly locked down just through sheer if longevity, if nothing else. he leads the Clippers else. to a title... The only ones I, mean, I think that you have to put in behind. We're basically de- going to have this argument when we get to Toronto. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. But can you can you carry us on to number eight? Yeah. So we'll go from one defensive stalwart to another with Jamal Crawford. Um, <laughs> oh who was <laughs> Ruthless today. He was uh, seventh from the fans. He was eighth for me and he was ninth for you. Tough player to evaluate, especially later in his career, just because he basically like we don't need to talk about his defense because it doesn't exist. And then his his offensive shooting figures like they're usually so low that he doesn't show up well in advanced metrics that the team might be slightly worse with him off the court. But at the same time, like we're all giving some love to him here by having him in the top 10. And I think it's largely because he fills a difficult role like I, I think we have to acknowledge that inefficiency is kind of part and parcel with that gunner off the bench role that he's excelled in throughout his career. Um, I, I, I don't think I would say that he was ever a star with the Clippers in the last decade. I mean, he averaged eight, 18.6 points per game in 2013, 14, but even then like it came on lackluster shooting numbers. So he was another one who is kind of difficult for me to place. And I know I say that about so many players, but it's because these are tough conversations. Look, there's, there's the there-ness, which sounds so, so weird to say, because he, he's, he's in fourth in total minutes played for the team. The other thing is he's seventh in value over replacement player. And I know that's going to be something that really favors guys who can score, but uh, scoring, if anyone hasn't noticed, is a pretty important skill. Never been the most efficient scorer, but he takes so many difficult shots that if you have him for a long period of time, between 2013 and 2017 in this case, shooting 45.5% on twos and 35.4% on threes, it's almost just a little bit more valuable than someone who's slightly more efficient but doesn't take as difficult shots. And to just come off the bench and to be able to provide you with that from-scratch creation it's a fairly big deal, and he had some huge games for them. He's just one of those guys where it felt like an event when he would catch fire. And so there's certainly, when you look at the advanced metrics, they're not all going to love him, um, some of the on and off numbers as well. But he won, uh, whether whether or not you, you thought he should have, he did win two six-man-of-the-year awards uh, with the Clippers and, and three overall. Uh, also just a really good teammate. If you talk to anyone ar- around the NBA – like, one of the best locker room guys. Right. And uh, to, to that point, it wasn't with the Clippers this year, uh, that year, but he won teammate of the year, 2017, 2018. So uh, I do think that matters because you were dealing with, when you look at those Lob City era Clippers teams, it felt like there was, I don't want to say a lack of leadership or accountability because you did have, Chris Paul is a leader, even if he grates on people. Uh, but there, there did seem like a lot of internal division, if not strife. And I would argue that having Jamal Crawford there probably helped alleviate it at least a little bit, if not a ton. And so I I really grappled with, could I put him lower? I was thinking about being 
a little bit bold than saying, you know, if we're being honest, like Kawhi might have had an impact higher than Jamal Crawford right now. And I ended up leaving Kawhi off. But what about Tobias Harris or Gallinari? He's right where he belongs. And if you want to put him at number seven, maybe, I think there's a strong case there. And I wouldn't argue against it. Yeah, I, I think Jamal Crawford's current situation is kind of like a good way to summarize the divide here, where he doesn't have a job right now, even though he hasn't retired. And that's indicative of general managers not necessarily trusting what he brings right now at this stage of his career. And yet every player wants him to have a role. Yeah. How many, how many guys have we seen speak up about how Jamal Crawford should be signed at this point? And I think that's partially because, you know, I forget who I saw that said this the first time and I wish I could give them credit for it, but I think it's, it's partially that he's mastered skills that are difficult to master and that players spend a lot of time trying to master to the point that they might supersede more important things that aren't necessarily worked on as much. And it creates this divide between how people who play and people who evaluate and try to build teams are viewing him. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. And look, I don't know that you could say he he would significantly help a team, but the aesthetics of his game are ageless. Like you just look at the way Absolutely. he moves. Just has a ton of the dribbling skills, yeah. the four point plays. I mean, and, if, and, and, and if anyone listening does remember, I, I want to say it might have been Chris Towers from CBS Sports, maybe um, who, who who talked about like the, the 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 mastery of a difficult skill. If anyone does know whose theory that was, let us know so we can give them credit for that. I would say the one thing that might hurt him with regard to maybe his ranking with the Clippers, but why he's not in the NBA right now is what he does where we've kind of seen it with how Lou Williams and like the stuff that he pulls when he's trying to draw fouls doesn't translate to the playoffs. Crawford's type of shot mm-hmm. selection, it just hasn't really fared well in the playoffs. His efficient his efficiency has traditionally fallen off a cliff. Maybe I'm thinking too much into that, but that's certainly no, that's a great point. I'm like that could that certainly holds him back here for me. And maybe that's why he's not in the NBA right now. But look, if you're gonna give me someone in there, you know, he's with Phoenix last year, age 38, doesn't become a problem. Like he's probably a centralizing force within that locker room. And you can count on him. I don't care how much they milked it, I don't care how meaningless the game was, but he can just go out there and score like 80 points if you wanted him to. That's just that's an accomplishment. Like not again, not Absolutely. relevant, not relevant necessarily to this discussion, although that kind of encapsulates what he was to the Clippers is just like he never he was never necessarily better than you expected him to be, but he was never less than uh, what you were looking for. Right. Um, right we, I believe there is no number seven or there is no number seven. There we is no number, number seven. Six. Yeah. We do have a tie number six. It's a very fitting tie because I think these players are so heavily associated with one another and it's Montrez Harrell and Patrick Beverly. So Beverly came in at sixth place for both you and I, the fans had him down at number 10 and then the fans had had Harrell at eight and both of us had him at number seven. That surprised me. I, uh, I really thought that, that the way Beverly plays the, the grittiness, the intensity, the, the desire to milk every ounce of basketball talent on every single possession, the, the willingness to frustrate and upset opponents, see Westbrook Russell, would have put him higher in the fan vote. I, I, I thought he was for sure one of those players where if you have been rooting for him, you would definitely have him higher than the non-Clippers fans who are currently talking. So where would you have put him? Oh, I mean, I, I think we had him in the right spot at sixth. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm surprised that we had him higher than the fans did. 
Oh, or, and, okay. and also that he was below Harold in the fan vote. I mean, like, I guess Harold is another like hustle guy who is always playing hard and is going to endear himself to fan bases. But that's like that's Beverly's thing. Uh, if there's anything that people want to light me up for, it's probably going to be my takes on Montrez Harrell. Uh, but yeah, with Beverly, I was, I, I kind of considered putting him higher. Just the, the sample size wasn't large enough to be like, Hey, let's, let's put him above, uh, Lou Williams, or let's put him above, uh, JJ Redick would have been the name that I, I, I gravitated toward the, the most. And, and Lou Williams is just such a huge part of what the Clippers have done offensively since he's arrived there. But with Beverly, like he is the fact that he's made a living playing a ball dominant position by being anything but is absolutely incredible to me. You can still trust him to run some pick and roll, but you'll probably wish that maybe he turned the ball over a little bit less. Could he do a little bit more off the dribble, but he pulls out like some floaters every now and again. But the fact that he's willing to just remain off the ball, hit a bunch of catch and shoot threes, and then just really exhaust himself on defense. And there are, Look, some of part of his reputation might be more myth than fact. Uh, I would say that guys like Marcus Smart would be a good example here are just definitively better on defense than Patrick Beverly is, particularly now. But he is someone that you can say, hey, go guard Kevin Durant. And it's not necessarily going to work, but it's going to look like maybe it's working a little bit just because mm-hmm. he defends so exhaustively. And so to have this guy who's essentially 3 and D at the point guard position, who on any given night can make it so that your point guard defense isn't pointless, which is uh, how many view point guard defense. It's look at how many talented right. players are at that position. You're going to get, you know, 20 points and six assists. Like you're giving that up right off the bat to a lot of these guys. And and that's just absolutely huge. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with you that it is a little bit surprising, if not really surprising, that we were higher on him than, than the fans actually were. But that just might say more about how much Clippers fans uh, – uh, valued one immediacy, also Kawhi Leonard a little bit, obviously. So, uh, but Patrick Beverly's just, there are a handful of non-stars that I think every team, all 30 teams would love to have on their roster. And he, for me, is one of them. Yeah. And as for, as for Montrez, I, I, he was a difficult one to evaluate if only because of his role and because of how the Clippers have maximized him within that role. He doesn't play against starters. He plays against second units and he destroys them. And it's it's difficult to know how that would translate to playing against the best front court defenders and trying to defend the best front court scorers. But I, I think there's a case to be made that he's been as good within his role as anybody For over sure. the last two years. I mean, if you at minimum fifty games played, he's twenty seventh in points per thirty six minutes over the last two seasons combined. That puts him just ahead of Danilo Gallinari. It puts him ahead of Nikola Jokic and Chris Middleton and Clay Thompson and Brandon Ingram and DeMar DeRozan and CJ McCollum. Like he's been really effective and he's done all that while shooting almost 60% from the field. Granted, because all of his shots are right around the basket, but it's also a skill to be able to generate those looks and capitalize on them so efficiently. Right. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, feel free to, to cut me off there. I was just going to say, I, and even, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> so, I, I think you hit it right on the head is so that he's been as good as anyone within his role. And even scoring wise, he, he does more on offense than you actually think. Like this isn't just someone who's feasting off of, of pick and rolls. Like the, the Clippers have posted him up. He can actually attack. He has a little bit of a floor game and you're, he doesn't have really range away from the rim, but to be able to get to the rim with the ball in your hands, that's another skill that's valued. And then 
This season specifically, Giannis and Jokic are the only other players averaging more than 18 points per game while shooting better than 59% on twos. Now, Harold's scoring opportunities are more elementary than theirs, but that's still pretty darn impressive. And I think, as you already mentioned, there's an endless hustle to his game where he's not going to out-talent a lot of people, but he's going out work pretty much. And it's anyone. contagious. It's like he's he seems like one of those players where his hustle bleeds into everyone else. Like th- it, it feels like there's a notable, visible uptick in in hustle with everyone who's on the floor around him. And the fact that his output has held per minute as his role has increased is indicative of not only how good he is, but just also how much energy he's willing to put into every single second that he's on the court. Now, his, I, he knows one gear. It's light speed. Here's what I question about Harrell's value is how indispensable is he actually to the Clippers? And the bigger question to me would be, is he someone who can translate well to another team? And I'm only asking this because he's a free agent this summer. And I was so, going to say, we're going to get some answers to this pretty soon. Right. And it'll, I don't know, maybe he doesn't leave the Clippers, but it'll still be indicative in the offers that are rumored to be received from other teams. And I just, I don't know, like he does still need in probably an elite to semi elite playmaker around him to really capitalize on his offense. And there just aren't going to be as many teams that can say, Hey, we're going to throw this six foot seven inch guy at center and that they're going to be able to make it work because he's not this, he, you know, he could be okay around the rim, but he's not your primary backline defender guy. Uh, he's not going to rampage on the glass. And so that that's a limitation, but you also really can't give him minutes at the four anymore because he doesn't have that range. You would need like the perfect five uh, around him, like a Marcus Morris Harrell scenario where Harrell's still going to be the center in that situation because he's the guy that's not playing on, on the perimeter. And so mm-hmm. that's just what I'm curious about. It doesn't hold him back here because again, he's done so much for the Clippers, but it's always something I've wondered about him. And I do think to some extent, maybe that's, uh, you know, tainted my view of him. I feel like tainted is too cruel of a word, but it's just made me as he is, he exudes this endless hustle. I am endlessly curious about what his actual value is relative to the rest of the league outside this Clippers bubble. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I almost don't want to find out because I so enjoy him in this role. And I hope it's something he gets to continue doing rather than trying to stretch himself too much. And maybe we start to see some of those cracks shine through a bit more prominently. I, he's just one of those guys who's so fun to watch and so easy to root for that I, I almost don't want that to happen. And I, I enjoy unless, watching Unless him. he wants it. If he wants that, then go for it. Yeah, and look, the Knicks have cap space and love bigs. Uh, Charlotte could use him up on the front line. Maybe those are the teams. If he gets paid, good for him. And I love watching him. He's another guy where it feels like I just ran a marathon because I watched him play basketball, which doesn't say much about me, obviously. But I enjoy watching him. It's just That's just a question that springs to mind. Maybe this isn't the form for it, but I needed to voice it in some way. Oh, I get it. I'm just I'm looking forward to the next time I get to be asked, like, oh, did you exercise today? Yeah, I watched the Clippers. <laughs> Patrick Beverly and Harrell on the court at the same time. I, my heart barely took it. Who do uh, we have at number five? We do have a bit of a tear jump up to what was basically the clear-cut top five. And, and checking in at fifth was J.J. Redick. He was sixth, just below Kawhi Leonard from the fan vote. But you and I both have at, had him at fifth. We're unanimous from this point forward. Um, I, I think it's the exact right place for him. Never a star, always an immensely valuable role player. Um, just one of the best off-ball shooting threats we've ever seen. And I don't think it's a fluke that this might be the first year of his career he hasn't made the playoffs. Um, you know, he 
yes, he's always been on good teams. Yes, he's been surrounded by stars, but he also really aids the winning cause just with all of the little things that he does. I mean, I, I don't think that his ability to facilitate in a pinch gets the credit that it deserves. No. I don't think that I don't think that his ability to take a couple dribbles and shoot a jumper gets the credit that it deserves. He's been more than that catch and shoot guy, and he's been more than that for a while. And that really started to become clear in Los Angeles. Maybe it's because he left before. Maybe it's because he left when Chris Paul did, and you know Blake Griffin and DJ were still with the Clippers. Or maybe it's because he's mm. now he's on his second team since then. But it feels like forever ago that he was actually on the Clippers. And I I don't want to use what he did with the Sixers as a a basis for rating him, but I think what he did as a facilitator and as even someone who was hitting pull up threes as opposed to just more um, spot up opportunities or looks off motion, it proves that what he did to with the Clippers was that much more valuable because he was doing those things just in smaller doses, which is arguably harder because you're out of rhythm a little bit more. And so one of the most valuable offensive non-stars in the league, especially during his Without time question. with the Clippers, uh, shot 44% on a ton of on a ton of threes, averaged 5.8 per game with the Clippers and, and comfortably over seven per 36 minutes, I believe. Not like, and the fact that he could still do that didn't play as much this year, but like he wasn't exactly young during his time with the Clippers either. And so that you could always count on him for these astronomical offensive numbers. I do wonder, now this is, maybe this is an unfair question. If you had given J.J. Redick some more of the responsibility that was bestowed upon Jamal Crawford offensively, are the Clippers better off at all during this time? I don't think so. I okay. think that he filled the exact right role. And it's one of, I think we see that in the on-off numbers. Now, over those four-plus seasons, 11.5 points per 100 possessions better with Redick on the court. And granted, a lot of that is because that time largely overlapped with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. But without him drawing defensive attention away, because talk about gravitational pull from a non-star, that number isn't going to be as high. I mean, he made life so much easier for everyone else with his with his presence. Um, I, I don't think if you start giving him more touches, you start giving him more shots, that it changes for the better. Um, because he was as good a shooter and scorer as he was. I, I think you can make an argument that he was even more valuable on the possessions where he didn't touch the ball. Sort of like the Steph gravity impact, but obviously yeah. not at Steph's level. Yeah. I mean, like Chris Paul is going to get whatever shot Chris Paul wants whenever Chris Paul wants it. But just making those marginally easier over the course of a season has an immense impact. And I think that's what Redick did more than anything else. That's probably fair. And if, you, if you ask him to lead those second units and stuff, like I don't, I don't think you're going to see a positive change. I guess I'm just looking at what he sort of accomplished in Philly amid still playing with stars but clumpy spacing as sort of proof that maybe he could have done more. But I also think what you're saying hits the right notes too. I will say, even though it was basically in small volume, he was in the 70, 70th percentile or better as a pick-and-roll ball handler every single season he was with the Clippers, which is just, I, look, even if that's in small doses where it accounts for between, you know, seven and 10% of his offensive possessions, five and 10%, whatever it ends up being there's there's just value there. So just a quintessential Agreed. offensive role player. Agreed. So Number from this four, point forward sorry. in the rankings, yeah, from this uh, point forward, we actually have unanimity across the board. Um, so the fans, you and I all agreed. 
So I'll just say that in fourth place, we had Lou Williams. Don't you feel good when we agree with the fans and it's not like a number one spot where it's a consensus number one? I do. It feels nice. It feels nice. I still think that Lou Williams should have gotten some all-star love last year. Um, I'm continuously impressed by the importance of the role that he fills for the Clippers and his, his ability to take so many big possessions and get off so many tough shots and generate good looks for his teammates, whether he's kicking the ball back out off a drive, whether he's running a pick and roll. And it seems like he never makes a mistake. Like it it doesn't feel like he's capable of taking a bad shot because he's such a good, tough shot maker. It doesn't ever feel like he turns the ball over. He never loses his handle. He doesn't make ill-advised passes. It's like, he's just this, this perfect bench weapon. I, I feel like 20 years from now, we're going to be looking back at Lou Williams as one of the all-time great off-the-bench scorers, like a Vinnie Johnson microwave guy. Wow. that's Yeah, There's he definitely should have gotten all-star love uh, last season. Like, it's just... Is that too hot? Do we need the hot take sound there, or is that is that more tepid? I'm not quite sure. It's just tough because when you look at the who he's up against in the the Western conference, like that's just who, who is he knocking off that year? And so that's where the argument was, but to get more love, just more consideration where it felt like he probably deserved equal consideration compared to what Tobias Harris or Danilo Gallinari was getting. And if you just look, I know he's doing this off the bench since he arrived with the Clippers, but listen to the names of all the players who over the past three seasons, including this one are averaging at least 20 points, six assists and shooting 36% from three. James Harden, Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Steph, and Lou Will. That is... It's absurd. Yeah, that's the word I was going to gravitate towards. Like, that's... I was trying to uh, weed out some profanity that was going to slip out of my mouth. <laughs> we've, had, we've had some complaints about my profanity as of late, so I don't mean any any harm by it. I'll try to make it... My profanity will be more 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 selective. I'll be more deliberate about it as opposed to just letting it roll off and not realizing it. I like that's mind melting to me. I again, I know he's doing it off the bench. I also really don't care. When you look at how much they leaned on him in crunch time situations last year, uh this he is as close to stardom as you can get without actually being a star, probably. And but I said that's like not as hot after I say probably. He's absolutely in that tier. Whereas no, he's not a star, but he can actually shoulder the burden of one for for pretty long stretches. It's not you're not going to build a team around him, but like I don't know if we underrate him because or is he not viewed as a consensus? I would say top fifty player, and I might even be guilty of this or top forty player because he's he's not good defensively. Let's just get that out of the way. He's he's terrible defensively. Wait, and then, Lou Williams plays defense exactly, so he just. If they they should just have him cherry pick in certain occasions, but then that, that takes the ball out of his hands though in the backcourt a little bit sometimes. So maybe you don't want to do that anyway though. Uh, and maybe it's because he hasn't had all of the most convincing playoff campaigns. At the same time, like those numbers just don't lie. And now we're at a point where yeah, even this season his production has dropped off a little bit, but he's still giving you eighteen point seven points, five point seven assists, and shooting thirty six point three percent. From deep, where it's like, yeah, he could probably shoot a higher percentage on his twos, but the quality of the twos he's taking isn't very high, so maybe you should be happy he hits more than 44% of them. Like This guy's just been clockwork 
it's not even really just the past three seasons. He was big when he was, you know, maybe not so much, but even just with the Lakers, I'll even say that. Like we don't remember the Lakers and Houston days as, as fondly or even Toronto, but just look at his numbers, like just clockwork. He gets buckets. And these past three seasons with the Los Angeles Clippers have been, I would argue without a doubt, the best of his career. And they've come age 31, age 32, age 33, which is wild. So while you're on your soapbox, I was looking up something because I was curious and a these are like soapbox. I didn't think that that was something that would ever be. <laughs> these are shamelessly generated parameters because we're only looking at 1981 through the present because that's as far back as we have games started data on basketball reference for every single player. Um, I'm only looking at players who have not started more than 120 games in their careers. Lou Williams is at 118. So like, again, shamelessly generated. I will... I will not deny that. But do you think you can name any of the other top 10 career scorers during that time frame with fewer than 120 games started? Probably. I don't think I would have gotten JJ Barea. Okay. And maybe no one else. But that means that there's got to be like this huge drop off between the actual scoring numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So Tracy Murray, 5,900. Michael Cooper, 6,200. Gerald Green, 6,400. Nate Robinson, 6,800. Ron Anderson, 7,000. Chris Gatling, 7,200. J.J. Barea, 7,400. Leandro Barbosa, 9,000. Del Curry, 12,670. Lou Williams, 14,424. Del Curry is actually closer than I I thought that someone would have been. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But still, but still, like, I don't don't know. I feel validated in my uninformed claim that he's going to go down as one of the best bench scorers ever. <laughs> and with your, and you, you found arbitrary cutoffs to, to prove it. I'm proud of you. I, absolutely. Thank you. Shameless. The hard, that's the hardwood knocks way right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you take us to number three? I can. It's DeAndre Jordan, which I don't think is going to surprise anybody because, you know, we, we the big three Lob City era defined this decade for the Clippers, regardless of what Kawhi Leonard does this year. I think even if they win a title, this is still the decade of the Lob City Clippers um, because they brought the franchise back to relevance. They made the the franchise fun to follow, fun to watch. They were there for so long. I mean, they're pretty clearly the, the top three in minutes played. And DeAndre Jordan, despite having more longevity than any of the other two members of said big three, was clearly the third wheel. So uh, this was as much of a foregone conclusion as maybe any player in a non-number one spot in any of these rankings. I did briefly consider putting Lou Williams over him just because even this decade, I don't know that this was necessarily his fault when you look at um, just the coaching decisions during the time, 2010, 2011, 2012, just didn't play a ton of minutes. And then all of a sudden in 2013, 2014, he's at 35 minutes a game. Like yeah, because Doc Rivers was convinced that he was a defensive player of the year candidate, remember? Probably always been overrated defensively, but then we got to a point where he was underrated defensively because people didn't realize that he could move on yeah. defense as well. So, But anyway, uh, I I realized that that would have been way too egregious. The thereness factor alone, just Mr. Iron Man himself during his time right. with the Clippers. Uh, and look, there are always players who might want more in their role where they don't just want to be this lob-catching rim runner. And he was okay with that, and he he played his role to a T. It worked for the Clippers. And look, there were parts of his game that were, uh, well, I'll say at least one part of his game that he really worked on was just his passing. He's become, uh, yeah. later in his career more so, just a more decisive, 
a more intelligible passer where he can make quicker decisions, throw a little bit on the move, throw some nice standstill passes too, which I would argue for someone in his position can actually be a little bit harder because when you're rolling towards the rim, you can get used to kind of spraying the ball out, you know, to the corners or around the witch's nipple and, or even just behind you. And the fact that he's been this again, it's probably more so later in his career, that last season with the Clippers specifically, you can, uh, that's where it really felt like there was this this uptick, but that's, you know, this isn't, you can look at his assist numbers, and I think at least up until the final year with the Clippers, be like, well, you know, Hassan Whiteside over here. It just, it was never like that with him. Did you say witch's nipple? I learned and why that, have why have I never heard this term? I learned it at a basketball camp years and years ago, and I, it's just stuck with me. Like, that's what they call it. I stopped it. listening after everything else I, for about everything else after you said that. I apologize and hope it's not actually uh politically incorrect at this point, but that's like that's what it was called when I was at this. It was what, a what is what is it? <laughs> it's the so it's it's not an above the break, it's not the corner, it's like that area in between. Okay. Beyond the arc. Like they call that the witch's nipple. Huh. Well, I say they. I learned that, something today. That basketball camp is is what it called. I never Googled it to see if it was a thing. Again, I'm talking I'm about s- I'm scared to Google it. It was at a basketball camp I attended like for three or four years in a row when I was like 12 and that they always called it that it always stuck with me. I was, by the way, the foul shooting champion one year of that basketball camp. I just like to, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Probably some like lefty hooks. Cause that's the best part of your game. No, that didn't develop until I realized that I couldn't shoot. Oh, that's fair. Which is weird that I, I won the free throw shooting competition. I just, I just, I want to know, like, man, I've, I've worked in, in the basketball industry for over a decade and I've never heard this term before. Is that on me or have most people not heard it? I never even Googled it to see like if it was a, if it was a thing and I just Googled it now and it, it's, it's basketball isn't the first thing to come up when you type it in. <laughs> and there's a lot of other, I'll say more erotic things that come up when you type it. So don't Google it. So basically like, you were scolded for cursing too much, so now we're just going to talk about pornography on, on the podcast. This one was un like actually unintentional. It just rolled off. It just rolled <laughs> off my tongue there. Maybe I shouldn't be using tongue in this discussion either. Can we move on to? Can we move so, on? Uh, DeAndre Jordan. Can we move on to number two? Let's just let's get away from DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> we can. It's uh, it's Blake Griffin. Shocker. Um, a lot of dunks. A lot of fun plays. Like. I feel like Blake Griffin's value to the Clippers and what he did in the Lob City era is like so readily apparent that we don't even need to spend that much time on it. No, I think maybe just to mention that he was so much more than a dunker. Like I've this, lost all trains of thought now. He's someone. I'll I'll try and I'll try and bring us back. He's someone who can like was able to face up and score. That was basically throughout his entire tenure with the Clippers, even when Chris Paul arrived. But then, like, you see after Chris Paul left and he's just bringing the ball up the court more, and we've seen it when he's been healthy with Detroit anyway. And that's, like, he never would have surpassed CP3, but I'm looking at his overall legacy. If if just injuries aren't a factor, and I know that maybe this is too big of a disclaimer, given how good he is, though, I, I feel like it's not. Think of where he could be just, like, remembered all time. I'm not saying he's going to be a top 25 player of all time if he never gets injured, but he's really ridiculously good. And a famer? I don't know. I I I I would lean towards a yes, but I also just don't know. Like, if if I if I have the recency bias there, I'm actually going to try and look and see what. Not the perfect example. Fifty four point eight percent on Basketball References probability calculator. That's what I was gonna. That's what I, I was feel gonna like. It's up. too high. 
Um, I, I think I think it depends on how he recovers from this latest knee injury. If he if he fizzles for the next couple of years and doesn't do anything notable, I don't think he gets in. If he returns to that level, I think I think he'll be one of those those litmus test cases where he's like right on the cusp. His career similarity scores, though, if you look at them, like there are some interesting players in there. Uh, but those are based purely on win shares, right? Yeah, but still, just th- just throwing it out there. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would probably, I think fifty four point eight percent is probably fair. But you're right; it, it a lot might depend on how he recovers from injury, and then that's going to even just make the what if even more because he's cl- if if injuries aren't a huge factor of his career because basically every player gets injured unless they're DeAndre Jordan, apparently. He's then a he probably is close to a consensus Hall of Famer, right? Like if we're not talking about injuries yes. messing up parts of his career, and also if we don't have to talk about like complete playoff collapse during that Lob City era, I mean it's shocking that that group of players never made it to the Western Conference Finals, and I think it was more a, a into Chris Paul who checks in at number one for us because the lack of playoff success is such a big part of his legacy. But I never really felt like it was because he underperformed. No, I mean, there was definitely the untimely injuries. And also 2015, going up 3-1 to one in the semifinals and then losing to the, yeah. the Rockets. Letting Josh Smith just annihilate you in the fourth quarter of, of Game yeah. 6. Not great. That's not a- and then the Memphis collapse, too. Yeah. yeah. They, they had some collapses, and that's probably why... His legacy, if at all, is is just a little bit controversial because it's so tough to pin this that entire right. era of Clippers basketball. It was spectacular, but they like never making it out of the second round for a team that was that good. I know only two teams make it out of the second round in each conference per year, but they were so good you would ex- you would have expected them, given the time the amount of time they were together, to have been one of those two teams at least once. Right. I mean, if we circle back to the trivia question from the very beginning and those those teams with the five most wins over the last decade, all of them won a title or made it to the conference finals, except for the Clippers. Yeah, that's absolutely, they are one of the most fascinating teams. I would love to watch a 30 for 30 on that Clippers era of basketball. I feel like that's probably thrown around a little bit too haphazardly at this point in time, but I would love to see something like that on them. And the other last thing to maybe cover with Griffin, since if we're looking for points that maybe just aren't, I won't say covered it enough, but maybe that wouldn't be immediately talked about. So he resigns, and we can the whole mm, way yeah. that he resigned and the Clippers setting up the the Clipper for life. There is, you know, an issue of morality there. Granted, this is a business. What they received for him in trade really helped position them for where they are now. I mean, you got Tobias Harris, uh, who you were then able to turn into. Uh, assets, some of which are still with the Clippers, like Landry Shamit now. But you also got a first-round pick that you were able to help turn into Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the draft, and then Shea Gilgis-Alexander was a big part of the reason you were able to get Paul George. Like, that's, you know, the, his contract is now viewed as onerous, as it as it should be with the Detroit Pistons, but he's a big part of what the Clippers are right now. Not just because he put them in the map by being an in-it guy, uh, but because of what they got back from him in trade. And then the last thing I'll say is I really just appreciate his deadpan humor. If you've watched any of his stand-up sets and even when he's been doing interviews, I could just appreciate that. And I, it makes me wonder if that's why maybe Chris Paul and him didn't necessarily get along because Chris Paul seems like a very super serious guy behind the scenes, at least, you know, before his age 34, 30, 33 seasons. 
still, I appreciate the the type of of humor that Blake Griffin conveys, like that that deadpan. I, f- I feel like that's really hard to perfect, and he's done it well. That he has. He Number one, has. very yeah, I mean, very divisive pick here. Chris Paul, obviously, there is no doubt. I don't think that you could really make a realistic argument for not having him number one, even though one fan ballot didn't have him appear at all, which was interesting. Um, But yeah, I mean, is there any doubt? No, there's none. I kind of wish he would have spent one more season with the Hornets this decade because there would have been then a a real chance of him landing up on four teams as top 10. And maybe, maybe I'm sure fans will even still oh, well. put him in for what he did in, in 2010, 2011. But Chris Paul is one of the best players of all time. He might be, I probably still go Magic Johnson, but he's got to be, and maybe even Steph Curry at this point, but he's one of the three best point guards of all time to me. Do you disagree? We might have actually already had this conversation. I, I, I don't disagree with that. That's so, exactly where I have him. So lukewarm take. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions that you'd like to take us through? Yeah, let's do it. I don't think we need to spend much more time on Paul since we're probably already on the longer end here, right? We're closing in on an hour, and so I would yeah, hope that yeah, these so singular let's... team ones can at least stay under 60 minutes. We're testing it, though. So people who got votes outside the top 10 from the fans, we had Matt Barnes at 11, Danilo Gallinari at 12, Tobias Harris at 13. Again, like we, we felt like there was a clear-cut top 13. Um, below that was Austin Rivers at 14, Eric Bledsoe at 15, Eric Gordon at 16, Paul Pierce at 17. And then there was another drop-off to Chris Kamen at 18, Baron Davis at 19, Mo Williams at 20, Craig Smith at 21, tied with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Then we had a tie at 23rd between Jamario Moon, Jerome Robinson. Uh, 25th was Darren Collison, and a tie for 26th between Karan Butler, Jamichael Green, and the one and only Boban Marjanovic. I knew Boban was going to make the list in some form. He had to get some love. I'm surprised he actually just wasn't in the top 15, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it, it it almost felt cruel to separate him from Tobias Harris that much. Right. Look, I can't believe they're not together anymore. My heart still hasn't fully recovered from... I know. I don't want to think about that. Yeah, let's not. we need to end this podcast now before we both cry. As always, please remember to follow Adam on Twitter, Aframel09. If you'd like to participate in these exercises, the Los Angeles Lakers are on deck, and we will be sending out the form, or Adam will, post-haste. M- at MBA underscore math, you can you can find it there. Please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, we leave you with the shout out to the one, the only Clippers living legend, Bryce Johnson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.